Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. Here with me to break down the week eight action of the Alliance of American Football is our resident AAF expert, Ian Harditz, the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Also use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Ian, how is it going? Going good, Matt. Exciting times. Uh, this was a good week for the AAF, none other than Eminem uh, w- went to Twitter to say that he wants to see players actually be allowed to fight in the AAF like hockey. And I just want to say, Marshall, if you're listening, I agree. So let- let's work something out. Let's figure it out. Yeah, there's uh, no such thing as bad publicity. And it definitely doesn't hurt to have uh, Marshall Mathers, uh, you know, pimping your brand on Twitter. The one thing I will say, we are recording this on Wednesday afternoon, a few hours before we recorded the new owner of the AAF uh, basically threatened to shut the league down if uh, the NFL doesn't become a little bit friendlier. But uh, Ian, do you have any thoughts on this? So I saw that report, which obviously isn't good to hear anyone talking about shutting the league down. But hold on, I had the tweet from someone. Because the thing is, Ebersole was also saying uh, two days ago, they were talking about expansion. And then uh, Benjamin Albright, a pretty big NFL reporter, reported that the AAF is not in danger of folding. They're just trying to leverage the NFL Players Association cooperation and get into players. So I'm not sure if it's the real thing or if maybe they're just trying to play a little hardball like uh, Albright's saying. So it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, I think we all knew that was a possibility uh, with this league in general, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I would say the the bigger threat is just the uh, lack of interest in the league. Like the fact that they can't put people in the seats. That's the bigger problem, like in comparison to being able to have NFL backups playing in your league. And I think even if you do get NFL backups in your league, there's still not going to be a lot of interest. Like they need to generate interest in other ways. Yeah, and another point, I don't think we touched on this in any of the pods, but they moved the uh, their AAF Super Bowl from Las Vegas to, I believe, the Cowboys practice facility, which 
you know, to start the league year, it was all about uh, how gambling and fantasy could really help the AAF thrive. And now it seems like that shifted, at least in a championship game, just to try to get as many people to attend the game as possible because we have seen San Antonio consistently have higher attendance than anyone else. So uh, it seems like they're still kind of um, moving on as they go, formulating their plan as they go. We've gotten to week eight, so, you know, hats off to them for that. But, yeah, it would be nice to see a more uh, formulated long-term plan as long as the league can survive in the future. And, uh, I mean, one thing is that the championship game, I believe, is the same weekend as the NFL draft. So part of me is like, oh, I should go to the draft. And then another part of me is like, you know, Frisco is not all that far from where my parents live in Texas. Like, I could, I could go to the AAF championship game. Uh, I'm actually bummed, man. Uh, the game is on my birthday, April 27th. And I was going to try to leverage that to get Action Network to pay, pay for a little trip out to Vegas to, uh, to really soak in the fun. But no longer a reality, unfortunately. Poor me. Well, maybe uh, you can leverage a trip to Frisco, um, <laughs> which is almost as good as Vegas. Uh, okay, Ian, let's, let's get into it. Uh, we are in the stretch run. There are just three weeks left in the AAF season. In the Eastern Conference, we have the Orlando Apollos and the Birmingham Iron. Uh, the Apollos are already locked in to a playoff spot. Uh, the Birmingham Iron have a very good chance of making the playoffs. Uh, and then in the Western Conference, we have the San Antonio Commanders. Uh, they are at the top, and they look highly likely to make the playoffs. And then after them, they have uh, the Arizona Hotshots and the San Diego Fleet who are uh, fighting for that last playoff spot. Any thoughts on uh, what we might see in the next uh, three weeks or just kind of the playoff probabilities for all of these teams? Yeah, I do think we're looking at our uh, four playoff teams at the top of the conferences right now in Orlando, Birmingham, San Antonio, and Arizona. Uh, I guess the big thing to remember with these other teams is that Atlanta has really uh, separated themselves as the clear-cut worst uh, two and five team in the league. Uh, Atlanta, Memphis, and Salt Lake are two and five, but the Legends have a minus 117 point differential this season, while Memphis is only at minus 39. Salt Lake's only at minus 13. So even though Memphis and Salt Lake things haven't quite worked out for them, we've seen. Uh, when they're healthy or at least getting some competent play uh, under center in particular, they've at least been, been able to stay competitive. But Atlanta, I mean, they've literally scored more than 14 points in one game this season. So I had uh, higher hopes for them when uh, Aaron Murray came in and was playing pretty well uh, in his first couple games. But it, it's just they have a below average defense, so little surrounding talent that I think it's a team we want to continue to exploit these last few weeks, especially now that their uh, motivation will seemingly be down since they're more or less eliminated from the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, speaking of exploiting them, have you looked to see how teams have done against the spread, specifically against Atlanta? I have not. I just know they've been – it's pretty good because they've, they've lost yeah, the I last mean, three games by 30 points. So Yeah, I mean, they're, they're horrible, but I haven't actually gone through the process. But, like, thinking about it, I think I've bet against them almost every <laughs> week, which, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm up on the season in AAF. So, uh, I don't know, at, at least targeting them hasn't seemed like something that is likely to be painful. All right, Ian, let's uh, jump into some of this Week 8 action. Once again, we have an early afternoon game on Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. We have the Orlando Apollos against the Memphis Express. Oh, man, the Apollos, we just talked about it, the best team in the league at 6-1. and one. The Memphis Express are 2-5. Uh, and five. I grant that Atlanta is the, the worst team in the league. Uh, I think there's a strong case to be made that Memphis is the second worst team. Uh, and so we, we have these two teams going against each other. As of recording, lines have not been released, but uh, 
our own Sean Corner, the director of predictive analytics at the Action Network, aka the Odds Maker. Uh, he has released projections for what he thinks these lines should be. Orlando is favored by 10 in his projections, and the over-under is 43 and a half. Ian, any injury news and notes? So Orlando seems pretty healthy. Not a surprise that the best team in the league has had some good injury luck all year. But the one note is that Akeem Hunt, who we did see was banged up uh, a little bit earlier in the season, he's pretty much back to full health. And we've seen that reflected in their uh, running back committee. Each of Akeem Hunt, Devion Smith, and Dearness Johnson played at least 25% of the offensive snaps last week. So still a situation we'll want to target because it is the league's clear-cut best offense, but we'll get into that a little bit more later. And then for Memphis, they placed their starting wide receiver Devin Lucian on IR this week. They re-signed uh, Fabian Guerrera, who with our limited information in the preseason, a lot of people thought would be their number one receiver. So he's back in the fold. But Obviously, the big thing with Memphis and AAF in general is when is it going to be Johnny football season? And it's looking like it's going to be another uh, week of split action. Uh, after last week's game, Mike Singletary, their head coach, said, right now, Brandon Silvers is our quarterback. I'm very excited about what Johnny does and what he brings to the team, but Brandon is our starting quarterback. On the one hand, like it's a business. How can you not put Johnny in there and get those ticket sales and get all the interest up? On the other hand, Brandon Sowers has played really well the last two weeks, and I do understand where Singletary is coming from. They've been playing winning football, and Silvers really hasn't done anything to lose a job just yet. So I want Johnny football to be on the field more than anyone else, but it's, it's at a point where I think maybe week nine is when we see him finally start under center, even if he is going to continue to play uh, possessions this week. I mean, if there's one thing I trust Mike Singletary to do, it's to evaluate and nurture quarterback talent. So he's, he's uh, definitely making the right decision here. Uh, let's look at some of the key matchups. Let's start with Orlando's offense going against this Memphis defense. I mean, it's such a great matchup here. Yeah, it's a huge mismatch. There's no, no way around it. Memphis League's third-worst defense in both yards per carry and yards per attempt uh, allowed. They really haven't been able to stop the run or the pass all season. Garrett Gilbert, I mean, the guy's balling out on a week-to-week basis. Even He'll have a below-average week for him, but then the next week he comes right back. So no concerns there. Charles Johnson's still unguardable, still a cash game lock for me in fantasy. And then we got uh, you know Jalen Marshall locked in as a wide receiver too and plenty of competent guys behind him like Chris Thompson, Ronnell Hall, and uh, even Ishmael Hyman. Uh, so with this backfield, though, we mentioned they're in this three-back committee system now. The good news is we know Dearness Johnson is a clear-cut starter, and he's been the number one pass down back. He's got at least two catches last five weeks, and he's uh, shown off some more ability when he's split out and also in the screen game. Devion Smith is the goal line back, which last week got him three uh, short rushing touchdowns. Really uh, a beast. Him and Trent Richardson around inside the five-yard line are pretty much sure things at this point. So this week I'm leaning towards Dearness Johnson because we saw him get a pretty nice salary decrease, and it really wasn't too much of a change in the workload, even though Akeem Hunt was getting going. But it's, it's an offense we're going to want to keep attacking in fantasy, and, and, and there's not a better matchup they could ask for this week. Yeah, to, uh, to put some context onto this matchup, and you touched on how bad Memphis's uh, defense has been, but uh, they have allowed the second most fantasy points to quarterbacks, the second most fantasy points to running backs, and the most fantasy points to tight ends. Now, obviously, a lot of the offense for Orlando runs through the wide receivers, but uh, just given how bad Memphis's defense has been at defending all of the other positions, I think we should still assume that if the Apollos really want to force the issue in getting the ball to their wide receivers, they're going to be able to do that. And they they have a number of capable receivers. So, uh, yeah, this this is going to be, I think, a pretty bad experience for the Memphis defense. Let's look at the other side, the Memphis offense going against the Orlando defense. 
Yeah, so I think we knew pretty early on in the year that the Orlando offense was looking like the league's best unit, but their defense also could be the best in the league. I mean, they've allowed the fewest yards per pass attempt all season, even better than that Birmingham Iron Curtain D. I mean, they have PFS number one, number two, and number six highest-graded cornerbacks, so really just been a struggle to pass on them all year. And it, it gives me hesitation to think that uh, Silver's little fairy tale story can keep going this week because they do have a bunch of playmakers at cornerback that I think can make life, life tough for them especially considering their top two receivers right now are Reese Horn and Daniel Williams. Uh, Horn made some great plays last week, contested catches down the field. Uh, this isn't so much an attack on him, but Daniel Williams is averaging a league-high 10.5 targets per game this year, but he's only played two games, so it's a little fluky. Uh, I think in general this is an offense. We're just going to want to stay away from a little bit until things get a little more cleared out under center. Because uh, in the run game, yes, Zach Stacy played 75% of the offensive snaps last week. Richard Simmons at 84%. No one else was even higher than 61 So he's a true workhorse. But, oh, my gosh, man, he's had at least 11 carries in every game this year, but he hasn't cleared 50 yards since week two. So it, it's just – it's an offense that really hasn't had much direction all season. They keep just kind of plugging in a new quarterback under center, hoping it's going to fix everything. And it really just hasn't worked for most of the year. So I don't think this is the week that their luck's going to continue. Yeah. Orlando has held opposing quarterbacks to the fewest fantasy points per game. And it has held uh, opposing wide receivers to uh, the third fewest fantasy points per game. It's just, it's a, it's a bad situation all the way around, which, I think leads to the obvious kind of Vegas inclination. I'm, whatever this line is, it's not going to be high enough for me. I'm, I'm really easily going to be betting on Orlando. But uh, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's, you got to ride with Orlando. And uh, I think we'll also continue to see this Johnny uh, Menzel effect on the spread where maybe the line is a point or two below what it really should be. But like I said, can I put the line high enough? I'm, packing the, I'm back in the Apollos. Yeah, and I've generally, uh, since the first week, or I, I actually week two, uh, when uh, I proved to myself that I can't uh, handicap at all the game totals, uh, I've just been avoiding them. But this, I don't know. I think if I had to take a side on the total, I would go over. Apollo's games have, uh, I mean, they're the highest scoring team in the league. So I don't know. I mean, I think they could get close to the game total just by themselves. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I probably still won't take any nibble on that. Yeah, I, I had a tough time with the game totals earlier in the year as well, so I generally stayed away. But, yeah, I mean, Silvers and uh, Manziel have showed these last two weeks they can move the football. It's just a matter of if they can keep doing that against a better defense. So, yeah, I, I think I'll be sticking to just the Apollos uh, spread. Yeah. All right, let's uh, get to the late game on Saturday, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. The San Diego Fleet at the Salt Lake Stallions. The Fleet are 3-4, and four, the Stallions are 2-5. and five. Sean Corner makes this as a pretty even matchup and so uh, gives Salt Lake the home field advantage, so uh, projecting them to be favored by two points with an over-under of 39 points. Uh, Ian, give us the injury news and notes. Yeah, Salt Lake seems to be uh, pretty healthy. We'll have a better grasp once the Wednesday night injury reports are released, so make sure you check out my ultimate AAF betting guide. Uh, should be out Thursday or Friday on the Action Network, and I'll have all the updated injury notes there. But the big thing to watch uh, for fantasy uh, implications in particular, San Diego, uh, last week their wide receiver Dantes Ford wasn't able to suit up uh, due to an ankle injury. He was in a walking boot, so I'm not sure he's uh, particularly close to being back either. And if you remember Ford, I mean, he had like 180 yards the, in week six. I mean, truly a field stretcher and game breaker. But without him, we saw both Brian Brown and Francis Owusu 
play over 80% of the offensive snaps. And both those guys are under 4K on fan ball this week. So uh, we got Mike Bricovici under center. He's really been a gunslinger all year, thrown for over 300 yards in three straight games, even if he's not the most accurate guy. So uh, anytime we can get access to these wide receivers in a high-flying offense that are playing high snaps for a low price, I mean, that's what we love in fantasy. So. All right, let's uh, look at this matchup. The San Diego offense against the Salt Lake defense. Uh, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, so keeping going with the San Diego passing game, I think they're going to have to pass this week because Salt Lake allowing a league low 2.9 yards per carry to opposing running backs. I mean, for reference, San Diego has the second-best run defense, and they're all the way up at 3.6 yards per carry allowed. So truly, Salt Lake has made teams try to throw the ball on them. And I think that's what Mike Martz is going to be more than fine with that because uh, he's been chucking the ball all over the field all season. So I uh, really like uh, having Brookovici in this spot, especially in tournaments. Uh, again, he hasn't been accurate, but he's actually had a top four or five uh, yards per attempt rate just because he keeps taking chances downfield. Uh, the tricky thing is is whether to know just how featured Nelson Spruce is going to be moving forward. He caught 12 of 14 targets for 146 yards last week. He had a bunch of drops in week six, so I guess we kind of could have seen this coming. But at the same time, he only played 46% of the offensive snaps because he is just only featured in the slot. So when it's two wide receiver sets, it's a Wusu and uh, Brian Brown out there. Like Spruce is literally not on the field for over half of the offensive snaps in a lot of these weeks. So I have a hard time just paying up over that 6K range to get a guy that's not going to be on the field as much. Uh, I'd much rather spend down and try to go get some running backs elsewhere. But the good news is that I don't know if it's this week to attack the San Diego backfield because, again, Salt Lake has been so strong. But we have seen them come back into a two-running back committee. Bishop Sankey has taken over uh, for Jaquan yeah. Gardner. Uh, Sankey season, 51% of the snaps last week. We saw Jaquan Gardner only play four total snaps. So uh, safe to assume we can move forward with Sankey and Terrell Watson and two back committee and props to Terrell Watson. I mean, I thought he was more of just an early, early I mean, early down grinder goal line type guy when the season started, but he's had back to back weeks where he's made a catch like 15 plus yards downfield. He had a diving like touchdown catch in week six last week. He got loose on a wheel and gained like 40 yards. So much more of a three down back than I think uh, at least I, I thought he was to start the year. So props to Terrell Watson. Yeah. So a couple thoughts. One, there is always plenty of room on the sink tank. Go ahead and get on it. Uh, and then secondly, Terrell Watson is a guy I've had a, a crush on for a long time. He was just so productive in college at Azusa Pacific. Uh, by the way, shout out to uh, our editor, uh, Katie Rich Creek, who uh, went there. Uh, but yeah, but he was so productive in college and uh, had underrated a receiving production in college as well. A big bodied guy who has really good, like high end athleticism, didn't get much of a shot, like hung around at the NFL for a few years on practice squads and then is like a third or fourth stringer. But um, he's still relatively young. I think he's the type of guy like I would love to see get another shot in the NFL because I, I think he actually could be someone who uh, could kind of surprise if he actually did get the shot. Let's talk about the St. Louis, not St. Louis, the Salt Lake offense going against the San Diego defense. How can you not say St. Louis? We got Mike Martz coaching San Diego. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, mentioned before, San Diego's had the league's second-best rush defense this year, and really their front seven in general is just their strength. I mean, PFF's graded them 
as the league's best overall pass rush. We've seen Demontre Moore at defensive end really uh, just be the league's best overall edge defender from week one on. So we'll, we'll want to see Salt Lake get the ball out quick, get the ball on the outside. And that's exactly what they've been doing all season. And Josh Woodrum has had the AS quickest average release all year long. And I don't think it's a coincidence he threw for a season high 380 yards against the fleet back in week five. There's a low floor here. He hasn't gone over even 250 yards in any of these other games. So it's still a conservative offense that hasn't necessarily shown the most upside. But I think Woodrum has the tools to uh, thrive in this matchup. And it's a similar situation, though, at receiver as uh, San Diego. The Mornay Pearsonell is the number one guy. But, again, he's stuck in the slot, so his snap rate's down. So we can actually get down to Adonis Jennings and Brian Timms. Uh, on fan ball where they're going to be at 4K or less and they're actually going to be on the field more than the de facto number one target. So just guys to keep in mind if you're trying to save some money. And then uh, in the backfield, we got some moving pieces as well. Uh, Joel Boagnon, Jay Boogie, looked like he was locked into a pretty massive workload uh, after Brandon Oliver went down. But we've seen him kind of shift back to early down in a short yards exclusively. Teron Ward ended up taking a lot of the pass game work last week. And his I think it was his second week with the team. So it makes sense to see his role uh, get a little bit bigger. And he was uh, also getting some backfield run. Interesting guy is Terrell Newby, who he fumbled once or twice in week six. So uh, luckily we were able to kind of anticipate that he'd be out of the backfield rotation. But inexplicably, he gets – 13 snaps last week as a like split out as a true wide receiver, even scored a late touchdown. So they seem to still be fine with Newby's ability as a receiver, even if it's not going to be uh, from the running back position. So it's, it's something to keep an eye on. I don't think Newby's playing enough to still be a fancy option or anything, but uh, there's a lot of moving pieces in the backfield. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, any Vegas inclination? Uh, yeah, I'm going with Salt Lake here. Look, San Diego won uh, 27-25 at home back in week five, and that was that game where Woodrum let him back late, uh, scored a touchdown with like a minute left, and then Berkovici, uh had a deep ball to Ford or someone, and they were able to get a field goal. Like One of the best AAF games of the that, year. That really and, was. That was. That was the one where you took the money line and uh, you, you lost. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. But I, I, I won on the cover which was uh, a wonderful game. This was actually the only game uh, that I've watched in real time for Alliance. Uh, it was just, electric. Yeah, it, was, it actually really was a great game. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be taking the spread this time. I'm, I got too cocky last time, as, as you had to remind me. But, uh, yeah, but the big thing, so with Woodrum, they have not lost by more than four in a full game uh, with him under center. So, again, even if Salt Lake, their season hasn't quite gone the way they wanted to, Unlike Atlanta and kind of unlike Memphis, they've been the most competitive bad team in the league. Yeah, I think this one's pretty close. Um, I will – I don't know. I think I'll probably be staying away from it. And if I had to pick a team, yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think I probably like San Diego a little bit more, especially on a neutral field. And it's not that this is a neutral field, but I just don't know how much home field even matters in, in the AAF. You know what I mean? Um, I think maybe, maybe for San Antonio, cause they got yeah. their dome and their big fan base, but otherwise, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But uh, circling back to, to the stallions, let's talk about erections. Oh yeah. Everyone's favorite topic. Ian, once when I was a kid, I think in seventh grade, my class in school took a field trip to a a local farm. Uh, So we're all just standing around looking at cows and pigs and thinking that this is totally boring. And then out of nowhere, there's a horse that's standing there and it gets this massive erection. Like that thing was the size of, I don't know, like an entire human child, maybe. 
all the girls were looking at it with this combination of laughter and horror. And uh, all of the guys were saying things like, uh, whatever, it's not that big. I mean, it's totally normal. Uh, but anyway, my point is that that horse had no penile problems whatsoever. But, you know, we mortal men, uh, we can't all be horses. Sometimes erections aren't quite so easy to come by. Bad choice of words there. Anyway, if you've experienced erectile dysfunction and are looking for something to help you unleash your inner animal, you should check out Roman, an easy way to get checked out by a doctor and treated online. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door. With Roman, there are no waiting rooms, awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash NFLPod. Fill out a brief medical onboarding chat with a doctor and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door in unmarked packaging. Guys, go online and get checked by the doctor. Get into the end zone with Roman. For a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com slash NFLPod. That is GetRoman.com slash NFLPod. For a free online visit, GetRoman.com slash NFLPod. Ian, the ad read win streak continues. I was so concerned where that story was going at first about a bunch of bored middle schoolers with all these farm animals, but I think it ended up about as well as it possibly could have. Yes. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the games on Sunday. At 4 p.m. Eastern, we have the horrific Atlanta Legends. By the way, they need to visit some Roman because they are definitely not performing. Uh, we have them at the Birmingham Iron. Uh, the Iron, we are expecting, uh, just in terms of our projections, to be favored by nine and a half. Uh, with a 38.5 over under. Ian, uh, give us the injury news and notes. Yeah, Atlanta seems to be pretty healthy. Again, we'll have a better grasp after the injury reports are released. But big thing is, I mean, we haven't seen Aaron Murray finish either of these last two games. It's not all been his fault. I mean, just watching him play, like last week, for example, he had a touchdown where it hit his receiver in the chest drop in the end zone and then two plays later he throws a pick from inside the 10 yard line so definitely not getting a bunch of help running game hasn't really gotten started all season but at the same time we've seen Matt Sims we've seen I think Peter Pujols is their other guy so situation where I think Murray's still going to start but uh, I'm not going to be trusting him in any DFS lineups due to his kind of lack of certainty moving forward and then uh yeah on the Birmingham side of things I'm pretty happy we've been able to we nailed Richard Mullaney in week six and then Amba at a Tawau in week seven where just these receivers that were starters they got hurt and then they came back and they're pretty much featured roles so yeah we did see Amba play 63 percent of snaps last week and that came at the expense of LaDamian Washington he only played three percent snaps despite absolutely going off in week six so we'll see how that receiver rotation uh, works out over a, a longer sample than just one week but uh yeah always good to keep in mind that when these starters do come back they get priced down and fan ball sometimes uh unjustifiably yes uh a a uh, great call last week on amba phone home et uh okay <laughs> let's talk about this atlanta offense against the birmingham defense yes yeah, so and, and i should say i'm using atlanta offense in air quotes there <laughs> that's very fair especially in this matchup I mean I said before Orlando might be a number one defense either way anyone's list is going to have Orlando and Birmingham in the top two so they've really uh been great to see especially when you're waiting just past defense and points allowed but yeah I mean I don't have hardly any good things to say about this Atlanta offense there they have these really big wide receiver and running back committees so it's hard to 
find too much a uh, fantasy friendly nature in either of them. I will say I'm going to have some Brandon Radcliffe and Centavious Jones exposure just because each of these guys have sub uh, 5,000 salaries. And I just think it's a little bit out of sync with the uses we've seen from them. But other than that, yeah, just stay as far away as you can from this Atlanta team. Let's talk about the Birmingham offense going against this Atlanta defense, which Atlanta, they've scored the fewest points in the league and allowed the most points in the league. So this is just, it's a, it's a horrible matchup all the way around for them. Birmingham's offense, I don't think is really all that exciting, um, but you imagine even though they play at a relatively slower pace and they play an antiquated style, you imagine that they should be able to put up some points against Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. I I don't know if Atlanta is like by far the worst defense in the league, but they're definitely below average. They're second worst in yards per carry allowed. So maybe it's finally the week for Trent 2.6 yards per carry Richardson to get something going on. Maybe he will average three yards per carry. Oh man, That's in, in the realm of possibility. One can dream. It honestly is ridiculous. So, I mean, he's averaging 2.6 yards per carry. I That's so absurd and so bad. But at the same time, like, the guy gets the ball inside the five-yard line. He turns into Superman. He, you know, he's making the right cut, just putting his uh, shoulder down, just will not be denied getting to the end zone. He's got 10 rushing touchdowns. So, uh, also ability as receiver. I mean, it's, it's, it's so absurd how I, I can be saying nice things about any running back averaging 2.6 yards per carry, but it truly is just baffling to me how he can look so good in certain situations but still be so uh, below want, average overall. I want to kind of take this outside of the realm of AAF for a second. Trent Richardson right now, and I would say like you probably have a better read on Trent Richardson than almost anyone else because you actually watch the games, you think about Trent Richardson. How do you think as a receiver – he compares to some of the other running backs in the NFL, like some of the big-bodied running backs in the NFL. He's fine. He's not doing – he's like he's not splitting out on the slot or out wide like a Le'Veon Bow or Alvin Kamara. He doesn't quite give you that type of dimension, but he's really solid in pass protection, and he's good at just slipping out of the backfield and kind of uh, getting these uh, short – uh, dump offs and then making something happen in open space. I mean, he's still pretty good in the open field. His problem is his vision so bad as a ball carrier, he usually can't find the open field. So working as a receiver works out a little better for him. With that said, though, if you were only taking him as a, I guess, pass catcher in the NFL, I do think he'd be at least closer to average than uh, people might give him credit for. So there are on like on any given NFL team you have maybe your lead guy and then you have two other types of backs behind him one is more of the pass catching back and then one is more of like a like a bigger bodied uh kind of backup who would maybe be your primary ball carrier if the starter gets injured like Trent Richardson kind of embodies those two things right like he's going to be 29 next season so it's not as if I think he actually clearly deserves another shot in the NFL because I just don't see the, the functionality of really investing much in a guy who's going to be 29. But I don't know. Like, I, I mean, he, I think you could give him a really cheap salary and he might provide some value. I think he could be like what Matt Asiata was on the Vikings where – he, will, he should never be your feature back. Uh, he shouldn't even be your like Jarek McKinnon scat back. But 
he's got short yards capability. He's good in pass protection and he can at least catch the ball sometimes. So I'm with you. The problem is, I, I don't know if it's him or the league, but I just think him being the number three overall pick has kind of not enabled him to have that opportunity for better or for worse. Yeah, that's interesting. Asiata is a good, uh, good comparison. Although I think he's better. I mean, than than Asiata. Like I think he would, he would still. I think he would have a higher yards per carry. I think he would be just as efficient at scoring touchdowns, and he's a much better receiver. Okay, let's uh, let's get back to it. Talk about this Birmingham offense against the Atlanta defense. Yeah, so we've actually seen their pass offense have some signs of life uh, recently after uh, Keith Price unfortunately got hurt. Luis Perez just came back in and will not give up his starting job again, apparently. He threw uh, zero touchdowns in his uh, first 153 pass attempts in weeks one through five. He's got five scores through the air in weeks six through seven alone, so definitely been stepping up. But at the same time, he still hasn't really been all that accurate or efficient. I think it's more just a little bit of regression to the mean in terms of his touchdown rate. And, you know, uh, Richardson can only score so many one-yard scores uh, for that time. So uh, I'm more interested in looking at Quentin Patton, who currently leads the league in targets. We haven't seen him really uh, convert him into a ton of production these last few weeks. But Quentin Patton and Trent Richardson are two of only nine players in the AAF that have at least 40 targets this season. So we don't really have another offense that has that much uh, target share condensed uh, into two players. So I did see some good things from Jamal Robinson last week. He's kind of like their de facto deep threat, but I'm not sure if the targets are going to be there. And then uh, as for Amba ET, one of these situations where like last week I was shocked. Richard Mullaney, his uh, price shot up around 1,000 or 1,500 or whatever. And he came in with like 40% ownership rate in this GPP. So Look, Amba E.T. was an awesome play last week, but now he's costing uh, in the 4,000s. It's not the same uh, level of value, and it's someone that we're going to want to fade because he's apparently going to have really high ownership. All right. Uh, anyway, you are leaning in this game. Yeah, same thoughts as like Orlando versus Memphis. Can't put yeah. the line high enough. Give me Birmingham. Again, I think, I think we're on the verge of them losing their motivation, which when the already worst team in the league now doesn't have much to play for, look out. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The one thing that would make me – I mean, yeah, I'm going to be taking Birmingham. But the one thing that would make me lean a little bit towards Atlanta, or at least that would make me stay away from it, is the fact that Birmingham doesn't play a lot of um, – like it doesn't blow out opponents. You know what I mean? Like they play a close style where they're running the ball. Um, they play at a slower pace, even though I don't think – I mean, obviously, Atlanta is horrible. But if there, is, if there is a team against which they could keep a game close, I think Birmingham is that type of team. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and, and again, like even though Perez in the passing game have been having some more uh, touchdown success recently, I don't think that it's still all that effective of a passing game in general. So if, if uh, the land defense can just kind of improve their performance against the run against what's been the league's least efficient rushing offense, yeah, I, I, there is definitely a scenario where uh, this game could be within a touchdown. Yeah, I mean that said, I'm probably still <laughs> I'm still <laughs> going to be betting against Atlanta. Same here, same here. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about this final game on Sunday night: the San Antonio Commanders, uh, the conference leading San Antonio Commanders at five and two, going against the Arizona Hotshots at four and three. This should be a really good game. Uh, and if the Hotshots should win, I should say we have our uh, season win total. We had the under on Arizona under six and a half wins. I, they need to lose this game for us, I think, because if they win this game, they have to win only two more games. 
And both of those games are winnable. At that point, they will really be fighting for a playoff spot. So, like, this is a game where I'm really uh, rooting against the Arizona Hotshots, I have to say. Uh, And right now, we have San Antonio projected as a a two-and-a-half-point favorite with a 41.5 over-under. Give us some injury news and notes. Yeah, so real quick, these guys played earlier in the season. It was kind of a deceiving game because uh, San Antonio shot off to a 26 nothing halftime lead, but then only ended up winning 29-26. So I think it was a situation where we really saw like the worst half of football. Arizona played all season, early pick six, allowed some big plays, uh, combined with really Logan Woodside's coming out party. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to probably seeing something a little more in the middle of those uh, one-sided halves this time around, and I'm with you. This is going to be uh, probably the week's best, best and most competitive game but yeah so san antonio logan woodside has been playing out of his mind the last couple weeks but he uh, had to leave early last week due to a non-throwing shoulder injury it doesn't seem like it's too severe he said after the game that he thinks he probably could have re-entered and uh, he fully planned on practicing come wednesday so we'll see how it works out the injury reports uh look but if he can't then we'll get a uh, the Marquise Williams uh, rushing upside that we've been begging to see in DFS all season. So uh, any season-long people out there, definitely pick up Marquise uh, in case this Woodside injury is a little more severe than we thought. But big thing is this wide receiver situation. Mikhail McKay uh, was questionable last, last week with an ankle injury. DeMarcus Ayers was doubtful with a lower leg injury. Both ended up playing, but they only played 45 and 37% of the offensive snaps. So we actually saw Greg Ward Jr. Uh, taking a team-high 58% of the offensive snaps, and he's only coming in at 32000 on a fan ball. So he's my uh, favorite salary-saving option of the week. Uh, but, yeah, quickly, Arizona. We mentioned this last week, how Rashad Ross, his entire college, preseason, AAF career, the guy catches the ball, you know, he, he falls down, he hobbles over the sideline, you're worried, and then you – by the time you look up, he's back out on the field. It does seem like this shoulder injury finally caught up to him a little bit last week. He uh, played a season low, 58% of the offensive snaps. Each of Freddie Martino, Richard Mullaney, and Marquise Bundy were on the field more often than Ross. So if there's anyone out there that can make the most of their limited opportunity, I think it is Rashad Ross, but probably not the time to really be targeting him as, as when we don't know if he's even going to be playing 60 or more percent of the offensive snaps. Yeah, it's an unfortunate situation because, like, on a macro level, this should be, I think, a really good game. But from a fantasy perspective, it might be hard to capitalize on it uh, because these wide receivers, uh, both squads are pretty injured at the position. So uh, there could be a lot of snaps given to a number of guys where uh, no receiver dominates the way that we would probably want him to. So just kind of uh, an unfortunate situation. Let's look at the uh, San Antonio offense against the Arizona defense. Yeah, so mentioned before, we saw this Arizona defense uh, really not play well against San Antonio in that first half, but they really did a great job in the second half. They did a pretty great job all season. They're uh, number three in both yards per carry and yards per attempt allowed. Uh, Just pretty solid overall, even though their offense moves at one of the faster uh, paces in the league. So it's been good to see them come together. And yeah, like you said, with these wide receiver injuries, this is really tough on either side of the ball to to nail down uh, any one guy. Greg Ward, again, did play 58% of the snaps last week. He doesn't have a touchdown this season, but he has, still has the third most red zone targets in the league, and we've seen him even get targeted a ton on a two-point conversions. He finally converted one last week as well. So I found out last week that punt return touchdowns don't count to, towards fantasy points uh, for the individual player in fanball, which is pretty messed up. But the thing with Greg Ward, even if, even if the punt returns don't count, he's one of maybe a handful of guys that have a realistic chance at – 
throwing for a touchdown or running for a touchdown that play wide receiver along with maybe like Jalen Marshall and Justin Thomas, these uh, former quarterbacks back in the day. So I'm all over Greg Ward this week just because of that $3,200 price tag. And yeah, the only thing bigger, uh, the only thing that's a bigger mess in the San Antonio wide receiver uh, committee is their running back committee. I mean, good Lord. Kenneth Farrow had 30 carries in week four. Since then he's had 12, nine and eight carries in those three games. And last week, We've at least been able to usually uh, narrow this down to three running backs. They went ahead and made each of Kenneth Farrow, Trey Williams, David Cobb, and Aaron Green active. Uh, none of those guys managed to play even 35% of the offensive snaps. So I think each of Farrow, Trey Williams, and Aaron Green are pretty dang good running backs, but it's just impossible to trust any of them if they're going to all be splitting reps this evenly. Of the uh, three running backs, I think uh, Farrow is the one I like the most because he's the likeliest to score a touchdown, but uh, it is hard to trust really any of these guys. Let's talk about the Arizona offense and the San, uh, San Antonio defense. This offense, they started out strong. They kind of faltered a little bit in the middle of the year, uh, but they've come on strong again. They have the second most points in the league it's hard to say that anyone else is uh, on the same playing field as the Apollos offensively, but the hot shots have been pretty impressive, uh, at least in the, in the past couple of weeks. And I think they're clearly the second best offense in the league. Uh, how do you think they're going to match up? Yeah, the hot shots definitely haven't been as consistent as the Apollos throughout the season. But yeah, I think they're the only team that has uh, an offensive ceiling that can at least approach Orlando. So I'm with you there. And it's an interesting uh, spot against the San Antonio defense. I kind of wrote off San Antonio probably a little earlier than I should have as the league's worst defense because they do have the league's second worst defense in yards allowed per attempt and the worst defense in yards per carry. But the thing is, in all levels of football, a really good pass rush, I think, helped make up for that. That was a similar trap I fell into in this NFL season with the Rams, where maybe they don't have the best uh, play-by-play efficiency. But when you have a good enough pass rush that can consistently force turnovers and at least make the quarterback uncomfortable, it's going to help your secondary. and It's going to help uh, dissuade teams from really trying to do too much. So uh, interesting situation. They are PFS number two uh, overall pass rush this season. But yeah, we've seen this Arizona offense go back towards early season form. Uh, Walford's posted two of his three best games this season in terms of quarterback rating in the last two weeks. Uh, getting Richard Mulaney back, I think, did help a lot, at least added some stability to the wide receiver group. group. And then uh, Bundy has also made some big plays throughout. Unfortunately, Fanball finally figured out that Jarrell Presley is one of the league's only like three bell cow backs. So his uh, salary that we've been taking advantage of in cash lineups the last few weeks is now at 6K. So I don't think he's uh, any longer a guy you need to jam into your lineups, but he's still playing well ahead of Tim Cook and Justin Stockton, played 61% of snaps last week. He's shown off versatility all season long. And yeah, I mean, when this offense is firing, they're pretty much running RPOs like half the game. And, uh, Getting guys like Rashad Ross, uh, chances in the middle of the field, getting Presley plenty of touches when, is when they're at their best. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this game again because I do think these are two pretty evenly matched teams. All right, well, let's talk about that. Uh, are you leaning anyway uh, in terms of the spread? Yeah, I'm good. I'm taking the points uh, right now. It looks like they're going to be on Arizona's side, so Arizona plus two and a half. Again, their uh, first meeting was not fluky, but we saw San Antonio dominate the first half, Arizona dominate the second half. So, uh, again, evenly matched teams, so give me the points. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think – I mean, it's hard to say that Arizona is better, but I think they are just as good as the commanders are, are, or very close to it. Um, so yeah, uh, I think they are in better form right now with their offense starting to, to, uh, come back. 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you. I will take the points there. Uh, let's talk about some fantasy strategy. Uh, as a quick reminder, Fanball's format, uh, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and then three flexes. I'm just going to say, let's not even talk about tight ends. <laughs> I, I, assume, I assume you weren't planning on talking about tight ends. But like, actually, it's, I think it's interesting in that like, um, all of the other positions are at least interesting to me. But there's been really nothing on the tight end side of things in this league to generate any interest. There's been some good performances. Uh, Wes Saxton with Birmingham has been on the field a lot. He's made some good plays. Marcus Ball, Gavin Escobar, San Diego, uh, Evan Rodriguez, San Antonio finally got out there. But the problem is a lot of these guys that have made plays at tight end, their salaries now gotten to the lower 4K range, which we have wide receivers that are yeah. just way more involved in that same range. So it's no longer like these men, three, three K guys. We can look for some upside with uh, Anthony Denham at 3,200 is uh, literally the only tight end. I think I'll even consider having some exposure to this week and even them probably not. So yeah, man uh, said before, I don't think Jarrell Presley is a cash game lock. Uh, like we've had him as the last two weeks. I still will be jamming in Trent Richardson and Charles Johnson. I just think, They've established themselves as the most matchup-proof, uh, volume-driven players at their position. Again, I love Greg Ward uh, at 3,200 as a salary-saving option, just leading the team in snaps, high red zone share, and again, that versatility I mentioned. And doing this process allows us for once to pay up for Garrett Gilbert. Uh, I've been paying down uh, the last couple of weeks, had a hard time getting up there, but I think you can get Gilbert, and then you can squeeze in Jalen Marshall. He's been their wide receiver, too, all year, but – Again, that the Ernest Johnson price decrease is uh, pretty notable, and I think uh, right. considering his uh, pass game share, it makes sense to stack Gilbert with the Ernest Johnson and Charles Johnson. So uh, that's my core. And then from there, we have 4,800 left. I think the top three options you can look at from here are uh, these Atlanta guys I said before, Santavis Jones and Brandon Radcliffe, and also uh, Richard Mullaney uh, is another guy that we've seen be on the field almost all the time for Arizona, even if last week's performance was a little bit disappointing. Among those three, I'm looking at Brandon Radcliffe, uh, I believe. Uh, so, like, here's the thing. He's only pl- he only played 38% of the snaps last week, which isn't ideal. We don't want running backs like that. But that was still tied for the eighth most in the league. I mean, there, there's just so few clear-cut uh, running back ones that you, you do have to start to look at these committee guys that aren't even uh, the top guy in their own team if the price is right. And I think th- uh, this week that guy is Radcliffe. Yeah, that's interesting. I would probably lean a little bit more towards uh, Mulaney, but – I think it's, yeah, I mean, with a running back, you maybe have a more projectable type of usage. You can sort of like lock in that he's going to get a certain number of of touches, whereas with Mulaney, with a wide receiver, uh, his usage could be a little more variable. So uh, probably not quite as good of an option for cash games. Yeah, I would definitely say uh, Radcliffe, Mulaney, uh, Jones, one, two, three. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, players you like for GPPs. And actually, circling back to to the tight ends, I think, obviously, you stay away from tight ends in cash games. For GPPs, like maybe you have like the contrarian benefit of getting a guy at low ownership. Uh, do you think that actually is the case with any of these tight ends? Not really, just because like the top of the top tight ends are averaging under four targets per game, and we're not even seeing that. I mean, I'm yeah. sorry, we are seeing that from a ton of just committee-wide receivers that are just offering uh, usually more fantasy-friendly like downfield shots anyway. So, again, uh, I, I'm using this uh, metric 
carries and targets divided by fan ball salary, just to get an idea of which uh, players at every position could be undervalued based on their uh, opportunity today and their price tag. And I believe like Anthony Denham uh, had was the only guy with a double digit rate. And there was something like 20 running backs, like 15 wide receivers were considered more valuable by this metric. So it, it does seem now that the best tight ends are just grossly overpriced. All right. Uh, talk about the GPP players you like. Yeah, so the two quarterbacks I'm looking at in GPPs are Mike uh, Bergevici and Luis Perez. We've seen their volume just in terms of pass attempts really uh, be way higher than everyone else over these last few weeks. And I think there's uh, plenty of opportunity in their receiving corps to uh, get a little bit off the chalk. Uh, you can pivot off Nelson Spruce, so I think it's going to be pretty high-owned after uh, getting all those targets last week. Again, I just get nervous with these guys that are playing less than uh, half of their offensive snaps. So uh, going Bergevici with Francis Owusu and Brian Brown, I, I love this combination as long as Dantes Ford is out because now, now we got a stack with two wide receivers that are under 4K and you can fill out the rest of your lineup with these RB1 bell cows and a Charles Johnson type at wide receiver. So I'm going to have the most exposure on these Berkovici stacks in uh, tournaments. But I also like uh, Luis Perez with Quentin Patton and Trent Richardson just because, again, two of nine players in the AAF that have at least 40 targets this season. I don't think there's uh, a stack that has the same level of um, – guaranteed target share as this one and then of course we got t rich's uh you know 15 carries a game for around 45 yards if, if he has a good day as well so uh there's less salary relief with that uh route you gotta kind of dig more in the 4k 5k range but it's a uh, it's still a stack that i think has a lot of upside yeah and one thing is i think uh not many people in gpps will probably stack perez with richardson although it, i mean it obviously is a viable option just people tend not to uh to gravitate towards the quarterback running back stack yeah, no, nah, I'm with you. We, we saw that with uh, different guys. I think Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, and uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, Todd Gurley. Uh, some of these running backs that are uh, more guaranteed for you know your three to five targets per game are definitely uh, more more perfect uh, stack partners with the quarterback. Okay, our uh, our week eight AAF rankings are on the site, and you and I contribute to those as well as uh, Sean Corner, whose weekly power rankings and projected lines they are also up on the site. What other content can people find at the Action Network and Fantasy Labs? Should have our DFS um, AAF fanball breakdown posted at some point on Wednesday night, and then we'll have the ultimate uh, betting guide for week eight done Thursday or Friday. So looking forward to this one, and uh, only three more weeks till we get the playoffs. So it's, uh, it's time to grind, everyone. Yeah. Are you starting to, uh, to wear down from the, the grind of the AAF season because you have this and then you have baseball coming up. You're going to have to work some, some baseball news shifts. You know, we, we are in the heart of it. Uh, how, how are you feeling? I'm feeling fine with this, but you're right. It's the baseball that's uh, kind of getting to me. I'm, t- I'm tired of spending time on all these beta sports that, that, that don't involve uh, men hitting other men. Very difficult. I, I saw a, I saw a good tweet from um, John Boyce today where he said, I fail to see the point of a baseball season when we literally just had a baseball season last year. And I could not agree more with that sentiment. Uh, yes, you, I, I just, yeah, I just never seen this. You really are into the sports where it's guys literally hitting other guys uh, because you're, you're into uh, MMA too. Football, UFC, massive drop off to everything else in my book. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, words of wisdom. That is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL podcast. Please rate and review the show in iTunes. For Ian, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode. 